I, I do not like introductions. They always say way too nice of things. It sets the expectation way, way too high. Um, just, just to kind of, to kind of set context uh, for you. Um, the truth about me is, I'm the kind of man I propose to my wife on April Fool's Day. <laughs> I had no clue what day it was, to be honest with you. But we got back. We decided we weren't going to tell anybody till we, till we uh, talked to her parents. We got back, and a cousin of hers uh, played a joke on someone, said April Fool's, and she looked at me like, you did not. <laughs> I was like, no, I had no clue. And I still don't have a clue. Um, I, get, I get the privilege of, of uh, taking us, continuing this series as we're in uh, Jesus' Sermon on the mountain. David has done a good job of exposing you to the full counsel of God, everything from the letters that Paul wrote to the Hebrew scriptures, which many people call the Old Testament. And, and uh, now, right now, we're focusing on a particular message that Christ gave on the top of a mountain. And he, he turns things topsy-turvy, upside down. He talks about God's kingdom in an unexpected way. Uh, if you would, kind of on our context, people thought of religion as like the ultimate being a monk. And Jesus begins to talk about it in ways that's just like, that just blows my mind. Because he's talking about that the kingdom is for the everyday person. It's the person that, that worries about everything matching. It's the, it's the person who, you know, struggles uh, with, you know, should I eat an extra donut or two? There's a, you know, it's just everyday, average people. And he starts off this message by saying, blessed are the blessed... And you, it doesn't say anything that you're supposed to say. If you haven't heard that message, you got to go online and hear it. Um, ever, all the messages are available online. I would encourage you to do that. Um, so one of the questions, one of the fundamental questions I actually want to approach today, because as you, as, you, as you hear Christ at that time, or as we read about it now, reflecting back, I think one of the fundamental questions we ask ourselves is, why aren't I experiencing more of God's blessing? If he says, hey, blessed are the, how, I mean, I find that for those who come into what we call the church, they come into a gathering, they begin to seek God, fundamentally, they want change in their life. Something's broken and they want to fix it. And then those who are in the church, they're, look, they're, looking, they're still looking for it. They're looking for greater blessing. They have been blessed, and they want to kind of grow in that blessing. And so I think a fundamental question is, why aren't I experiencing more of God's blessing? Now, you may kind of think this is weird, but I think one of the answers, it's a multifaceted thing, but one of the answers is in um, the word posture. It's in your posture. Now, I know that seems kind of weird, um, I'm a weird kind of guy, if you haven't figured that out. What I mean, what I mean by posture is there's kind of the sitting back in the seat kind of posture, and then there's sitting on the edge of your seat kind of posture. Uh, one example would be I'm a, I'm a huge uh, movie buff. I love movies. I've never left a movie. Um, no matter how good or bad it is, I have to see it to the, to the end. So if you think of a romantic movie, there's a couple different, well, there are lots of different genres, but one of the things in a, in a romantic movie you kind of have two scenarios. One is a guy likes a girl, and you kind of know that he likes the girl, but he spends the entire movie kind of waiting in the background. These are frustrating movies for me. Or vice versa. The girl likes the guy, and, and you know it, 
and they do everything they can to help the other person other than tell them, I like you. And it's just like, and you, of course, you know the end of the movie before the movie even comes up. He eventually, or she will eventually say so, and then they'll go, oh, I didn't know that. And they'll be mad at one another, and they'll be this, oh, it's never going to work thing. And then they'll show up at the wedding, and oh, I'll be, you know, you know okay. <laughs> You've seen that one. The other, the other kind of romantic uh, movie, same thing, is, um, is where the person pursues they said, I got my eye on you. I like these better than the other ones. They have the same formula. They're going to pursue the person initially is going to say no. But, but it's more active. It's less frustrating for me because in this romantic movie, um, he is or she is pursuing, doing everything they can to show them, I love you. You belong with me. I love those movies. Or maybe you're more action-orientated. Maybe you're an action movie kind of uh, person. Um, to me, it's kind of the same way. There are the action movie where, you know, someone is kidnapped, and they call the people, and they say, you know, we've kidnapped this and person and that you love. And the person goes, you know what? I'll do whatever you want. I'll just, you just let me know what you, what you need. Well, that person's not the hero of the movie. They're going to sit there. The hero's going to show up, listen to the what, and they're going to fix it for them. I like, what I like is the movies where they, heroes, uh, person they love is kidnapped or something, and the person calls and says, this is what I want, and then the, the person's response is, hey, no matter where you go, no matter how long it takes, day or night, with every fiber of my body, I'm going to come after you. You cannot hide. I will be there. You, you see the posture? It's the posture of pursuit. Pursuit is any occupation, pastime, or the like in which a person is engaged regularly. It's to, it's to follow after, like those movies. It's to strive to gain. It's to practice. It's to, to, to continue and go on with. It's not passive. It's aggressive, if you would. It is pursuit. And in essence, uh, as Jesus is, is coming towards uh, the end of this sermon... He talks about this posture, this thing that they want to gain, this blessing that they want to gain. And he says this in chapter 7, verse 7. You have a Bible you can open up. Otherwise, I believe it will come up on the screen for you. And Jesus simply says it this way. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Do you see it there? Ask, pursue, and it will be given to you. Seek, pursue, and you will find. Knock, pursue, and it will be opened to you. Just in case you didn't get it, always pay attention when the Bible repeats something. It's just like a parent. If I had to say it again, it's important. For everyone who asks, everyone who pursues, receives, he who seeks, pursues, finds, and to him who knocks, pursues, it will be opened. In essence, Jesus says the posture of prayer is pursuit. It's pursuit. It's not sitting back in your chair and going, hey, God, here's my Christmas list. Bless me here, bless me there, bless so-and-so. Hope you do it. It's pursuit. It's pursuit. He says, just 
Ask, ask me, pursue me. And by the way, if you don't get it, what does he say after that? Then seek. Did I get the prayer request wrong? Is there something else you wanted me to say? Do I need to ask again? Jesus, as a matter of fact, when he's teaching them how to pray, talks about the persistent widow who keeps going to the judge for justice. And he says the judge gets sick and tired of it. And he, and he does, gives her justice just because he doesn't want her to show up at the door anymore. And his point is, but God's not that way, so just ask, seek. And if the, if the door is, hasn't been opened, then knock. Pursue, pursue, pursue. It is the posture of prayer. It is what God desires. You know why? Because fundamentally, God wants to be loved. And you cannot communicate love to someone if you don't pursue them. Let me give you a hint, guys. If the only day your uh, significant person in your life receives flowers is Valentine's Day, you're dead in the water. That's not pursuit. That's, that's basically saying, I, I want to stay out of the doghouse. That's different than pursuit. Pursuit is, yes, maybe you do something on Valentine's Day, but you constantly, and by the way, this gets more important the longer you're married. Marriages die because people stop pursuing. Because pursuit is, is what keeps love alive. God never stops pursuing us. And his desire for us is to continue to pursue him, to love and desire and want him. It is the posture of prayer. And then Jesus kind of goes on and, and in my words basically says, hey, you know what? God is worth pursuing. Picking up in uh, verse 9, says, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? How much? He basically says, listen, even if you are likely, you're the kind of person that's wired differently than other people, you want to teach your kids a lesson and don't do these things. If someone asked you, you know the right answer here. The right answer is if, you're, if your kid asks you for something, a loaf of bread, you don't give them a stone. They ask for a fish, you don't give them a snake. Even if you don't do that, you know the right answer. Because we know what basic good parenting is. And then he quotes, by the way, the theme all throughout the Bible is your evil. I know that's, that's tough. That's tough. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough concept, right? I remember uh, listening to Matthew chapter 5 when Dave was teaching. He talked about, about sin and the, and, and the guidelines and the kid running out in the middle of the road. Sin basically, it, it actually is an archery term, okay? So if you hit the red circle, if you think of an archery target, okay, great. Anything outside of that is sin, that was the word. That was the archery term, is the word sin. And that word evil means we live outside of the target. And by the way, the target isn't just what you shouldn't do. It's what you should do. So let me just, let me just tell you a secret, especially if you're new to this faith thing, okay? The more mature you become in Christ, the more the Bible you begin to know, the bigger of a sinner you become. I'm not less of a sinner than when I started. Now, you might look at my life and go, there's a lot less 
really major flaws in Joel's life. And to a certain degree, that's true. But as I get more, no, no, more, no, bleh, know more and more of God's character, and when he desires me not just not to do, but to do, I realize, man, I'm still a pretty selfish human being. I've managed the exterior really well, especially since I'm a pastor. <laughs> but there's still, he, he says, the, fundamentally the Bible says is we will seek our own. And you read the Bible and you see that. In, in all the greats, you see that. That's one of the wonderful things about our scriptures is other than Jesus, who was God, every human being is like us. They're fallible in pretty major significant ways. And I can tell you with all honesty, Dave and I, David and I are the same. We, we all are basically self-centered. And he says, now, if you as a self-centered human being who misses the mark know how to give good gifts, don't you think the God whose very nature is love, whose very, he, he doesn't love, he is love. Literally, you should look up in the Bible, it said love, the definition should be God. You should just say God, because he is the very incarnation of what love is. And so he says, this is the attitude of prayer. I gave you the posture of prayer, pursuit. The attitude of prayer is God is good. The attitude of prayer is God is able. Right? He says, your father who is in heaven, in other words, he's a mighty, awesome, wonderful, can do anything God. And we go into prayer with that attitude. Daddy's good, and I'm his favorite, and he likes to spoil me. That's the attitude of prayer. Now, if we're being honest, okay, and, and that's kind of the way I'm bent, the underlying question, I think, when we ask the question, why aren't I experiencing more blessing, there's a second question that come out, comes out of this, and that is, if God is good and God is able, then how come my situation hasn't changed? I think that's a phenomenal question because in... in it's the same question, by the way, that I, my kids have. Daddy, you say you love me. And, and you're able to let me stay out till midnight. You're able to let me, you know, uh, drink boba for three meals a day. <laughs> Why don't you let me? Now, I can say, anyone who's a parent knows, I could say because I love you, but no, you don't. And in essence, we have the same, this, this same tension with God is, God, if you're good and you're able, then how come my situation hasn't changed? And before I kind of answer this, other than the obvious, the parent deal, I want to introduce you to something maybe new, maybe for some of you it's not. It's called the Stockdale Paradox. The Stockdale Paradox. Um, go ahead. Oh, it's up there. I didn't see it. All right. This is Vice Admiral James Stockdale. Now, he happened to be a vice presidential candidate, but that's secondary. What you need to know about Stockdale is that he was the highest-ranking naval officer to be held prisoner during the Vietnam War, and he made it through some horrendous conditions, and which I'm not going to go into detail. I, just, just, it was torturous, and it was terrible. But he made it through. More importantly, not only did he make it through, but he helped several others make it through. Their, their common story of Stockdale is how he was able to help them find the right attitude so that they can make it through. 
And what the Stockdale paradox is, is what um, Admiral James Stockdale explained when he returned. It's like, how come you made it and several other people didn't? And he said, well, there's two kinds of people that don't make it. The first kind of person that doesn't make it is the pessimist. There's no hope. We've been caught. They're evil here. We're Americans. They're gonna, they're, they're, it's all over. They died quickly. They died quickly. He says, but the other person that died was the optimist. It was the person that says, you know what? Yeah, we got caught, but our troops are going to be in here. We're going to be out by Christmas. And when Christmas came in, they were, we're going to be out by Easter. And we're going to be out by things. And when it didn't happen, when, when their optimism wasn't met, they became a pessimist. And, and the Stockdale paradox is, is if you're in either extreme, whether it's in a prison camp or it's your job or it's a life situation, it will destroy you or, or, you'll, or, you'll, or you'll quit. But the person who makes it through is the person who looks at the painful day-to-day reality and understands this is my reality for as long as it is, yet somehow believes deep down I will survive. Stockdale himself says, you know what? What I told myself was this. This experience is a defining moment for me. Someday I will look back at this horrendous life that I'm living right now, this horrendous torture that I'm seeing, the fact that I see men that I love being killed. I'll look back. This is a defining moment, and I will use this for good. So in the midst of reality, there is a huge hope So let's go back. What is the attitude of prayer that Jesus is saying here? See, there's a balance. Think about the Stockdale principle. There's a balance that God is good and he's able, but that must be balanced with the fact that we live in an evil world. And it has to be balanced. You know, when I talk about evil, even though you have Christ in you and you remain new, your flesh, just talk to any addict, which, by the way, we all are, your flesh still wants to destroy itself. Your, your flesh still wants to consume. Your flesh still wants to, to make sure that the temperature setting is set. So it's, 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 your flesh will destroy itself. You're still, you're, Paul even talks about this. So the spirit is renewed. He says, I fight against the flesh, my desires. That's a reality. It's the balance of God is able and good with the evil's world and that God's ways are not my own. You cannot read the Bible without seeing that, that it's kind of like, my kid's version of a happy teenage life is that they have all the toys that they want, that there be no homework, as a matter of fact, there be no school, um, and that, you know, er- other than maybe having to do their homework, uh, every moment would be spent on a video game or skiing, having fun. That's not my goal for their life, because I know someday I'm... By God's grace, I will not have to support them. <laughs> they will have to support themselves. And as such, my, my goal for their life is not their, my goal for their life is whether they have much or little, whether they make it in their college a choice or they don't, whether they get a job where they're like, man, I was designed for this, or they have a job where they're just putting food on the table for their family. They have learned to be, to be content, to thrive and have joy. And as such... I'm okay with them going through some tough experiences. I don't actually pray that they love all their teachers. I'm glad when they have a bad teacher because someday they're going to have a bad boss. And I want them to be able to deal with the boss. 
I'm glad sometimes when they get a bad coach. I don't let them quit. I want them to learn to deal with a coach that's a bad coach because someday they'll have a bad boss. Someday they'll have a bad situation. And I want them to get through it. God's ways are not our own. And the idea of God is good also looks different. The goodness of God looks like our transformation into Christ's likeness. It, it is not about our happiness. Matter of fact, you don't find that in the scriptures. Where he says outright, you're going to be happy as in the world's version of happy. Joy, yes. Find contentment in all situations, absolutely. But happily ever after where nothing goes wrong, that doesn't really even happen in the fairy tales. Those castles are cold. And there's no bathroom. <laughs> Notice, by the way, Paul's, Paul also says this. He goes along with Jesus, which of course he would. Here's his upside-down words. In Romans chapter 5, he, he, first of all, he says, We past tense have been justified by faith. We present tense stand in peace with God. No matter what, if we had a bad morning or not, if we had faith in Jesus, we presently stand in peace with God, and future tense, we have a hope that God will glorify us, that God will, will make us right with him. He says, we, we look forward to that hope. And then he says this, I'm starting in verse 3, he says, not only so, not only do we rejoice in what's about to happen, but he says, we also rejoice in our suffering. How's that for an upside-down kingdom for you? Full disclosure. Full disclosure. We're not selling a, you know what, come to Jesus and everything will just be perfect from then on out. With your soul, joy, yes. But in terms of life circumstances, uh-uh. He says we rejoice in our suffering. Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, the ability to go through hard times. And perseverance, character. That's, that's, that's the person when everyone else is freaking out, they're like, I've seen this economy before. I've seen this situation before. We'll make it through. That's character. And character, what? Gives hope. So when everyone else is going, this is the end, it's all going to come crashing down, the person has hope. No, we'll persevere, and we have hope that it will get good again, and hope does not disappoint us. This hope that of what is to come will not disappoint us. Why? Because God has poured out his love into our hearts, specifically by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. The Holy Spirit now if God has given us himself, if he has now said, you know what, you are my holy of holies, going back to the Hebrew scriptures in the temple, you are where I reside, what else is he going to re reserve from you? Nothing. Nothing. You see, belief is important. Let me just kind of take you through a, a, a general way, the way that human beings are wired. All right, let's talk about uh, events, beliefs, thoughts, and feelings. When an event happens, it gets filtered through a belief. That leads to certain thoughts, and then that, those thoughts results in your feelings. So, for example, let's say adversity hits, some kind of adversity, whatever it is. It could be with your kids, you lose a job, you don't get into school of choice. Whatever the case may be, adversity hits. If your belief is, if I'm a good Christian, if I do everything right, then I'll have a good life, a perfect life. Well, adversity hit, and if you believe that, then your thought is, why me, Lord? Why are you picking on me? And that leads to what? To feelings of frustration and doubt. I'm done with this God business. Why? Because your fundamental belief is off. That's not what Jesus is teaching. However, 
if, if the event, adversity comes, and your belief is Christians grow with adversity, that God's plan for your life is that you grow in a Christ-likeness, not that everything work out. Read the Bible, you guys. Those folks had it hard. Did they have moments of blessing? Absolutely. But after God took Moses through the Red Sea, Moses tried to quit the job several times. After the, the, Jesus rose from the dead and the disciples started growing, every single one of those folks who saw Jesus raised from the dead were murdered, lost their life because of what they believed. Christians grow with adversity. And then when adversity hits, if that's your belief, then the thoughts is, I'm growing. As a matter of fact, there's this one really weird. Talk about an upside-down kingdom. The disciples are preaching God's word. They're arrested. The guys decide, you know what? We won't kill them. We'll just beat them. So they beat them. And then there's this really weird verse that says, and they left with joy because they were counted worthy to suffer for the cause. Are you kidding me? Where does that go back to? Their belief. These are the disciples. These are the ones who actually learn under Jesus that we take our note, our note from. It's an opportunity to learn. It's opportunity to grow. It's opportunity to say, God, I trust you no matter what. And if you believe that, based on the event, you think differently. And what's the feeling that comes out of it? Joy, not happiness. I'm not talking about rose-colored glasses where someone slaps you upside the head. And you're like, thank you. <laughs> no. You can avoid that, avoid it. But a joy that God is doing a work in me, a joy that says when that person hits me, you know what? I remember a day when I would have hit him back. But now what I'm thinking about is how damaged does their heart have to be to strike out for something as meaningless as whatever it is they hit me for? Compassion. Look at the work that God is doing in my heart. When you understand the goodness of God, and, and how he works in your life. He, he didn't even withhold his son. Then something deeper in you changes, and then it changes the way you treat others because this is where Christ is going. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, the very next verse, he says, in everything, therefore, the therefore is... I guess I'm supposed to end here. The therefore here is everything he's been talking about. Therefore, he says, treat the people the same way that you want to be treated. And then he gives us this insight. For this is what the law and the prophets taught. The law and the prophets, by the way, the law is the first five books of the Hebrew Scriptures, Old Testament. The prophets is everything else. He says, all the Scriptures teach us this. You have to go back. If you, if you might vaguely remember, in chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. He's still talking about the same thing. And he goes on, remember, and he gives them this ridiculous sentence. He says, if your righteousness does not exceed that of the religious people, you're in trouble. You will not enter the kingdom of God. They've got to be going. You've got to be kidding me. We couldn't even live like them. And you're saying if our righteousness doesn't exceed that, and Christ basically saying, listen, it all can be summed up in love. It can all be summed up. And in order to do this, because after Christ said this, right, that's when he began to say, you've heard it said, do not murder. I'm saying don't even speak wrongly to people. You've heard it said, don't, eat, don't commit adultery. I'm telling you, if you think it, you've done it. Jesus says, you thought the bar was there? <laughs> it's way, way higher than that. 
And then people, we begin, because we're people, begin to feel the weight of this. And in essence, Jesus comes and says, yes, you're right, you can't do it. Pursue God, pursue God, pursue God. Now, later on, he's going to say he's going to die because of the law and the prophets. See, what we know is what Jesus meant was you can't meet the bar, so I met it for you. Now you're free to do it, pursue it, not because you have to, but because you want to, because it's a joy. It's a joy. See, the result of prayer is love. If you pursue God, you pursue his goodness, his plan for your life, what it's going to end up into is a love for other people. God will help you do the incredible things that Jesus has been teaching us to do. So, if you want to experience more of God's blessing, pursue him. Pursue him. And I'm not just talking about coming to church on Sunday or before a meal. That's like a Valentine's Day kind of love. I'm talking about the way you did with your first, remember your first love. You don't have to be married at your first love. Remember that? You went to school, right? But you took a little notes and you dreamed. You did the daily activities, but you were just dreaming about that person. You're thinking about that person. That's the, that is the picture of pursue. Keep that fresh. Keep it fresh. Number two, have faith that God is good. Granted, it's got to be tempered with the realities of this world. But the result of pursuing God in prayer is that, is that you get to see him answer prayer. A lot of us don't see God because we're not seeking him in the first place. And so when he does great things, we don't understand it's him. But if you start your day pursuing him and saying, hey, God, would you give me opportunities? And by the way, he'll change the way you pray. You, you, you'll, you'll go from God, help me here, or bless me here, to God, help me here, to what Jesus' prayer was. This would be nice, but let your will be done. Show me your will so I can do it. Maintain a steady diet of thankfulness. You, if you want to you constantly be reminded of God's goodness, read his word. Read his word. And then lastly, love well. Share what you have received. Because this, this is what we were designed for. I was um, watching a TV show. I'm, a, I'm an old country boy. And so I was uh, watching this show about Alaska. And this guy gets stranded out in the middle of nowhere in Alaska. And the only thing he can do is go to a neighbor and ask for help. And so he goes to this neighbor and says, you know, can I borrow your four-wheeler? I'm in trouble. And the neighbor says, yes. And then on their way out to the four-wheeler, the neighbor turns to him and he says this, uh, this old saying. He says, it's better to have 100 friends than $100. And to me, that's, that's, that is the blessing. I think too many of us are pursuing $100. Too many of us are pursuing a life where you know what, if, if my four-wheeler breaks down out in the middle of nowhere, I just call someone. I don't have to rely on anyone. I got this, God. And we miss the blessing. We miss the blessing of human interaction. We miss the blessing of someone helping us. We miss the blessing of helping others. That is what life is about. We are created to serve. And if we miss that, we miss that upside-down kingdom, we miss the kingdom altogether. Paul puts it this way in Romans 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, he says, and it, this is the therefore is based on what he's just taught. 
based on the fact that we don't come to God based on our works. We come to him through Christ and Christ alone. And there is therefore now no condemnation. God does not condemn anyone who is in him. He says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, what God has done for us, to offer your bodies, your life, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This, he says, is your spiritual act of worship. This is the way you thank God. You just do your best to live a life to say thank you, not to earn his love, but to thank him for his love. And then verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed What by the renewing of your mind. Change those beliefs. And here it is. Then you will be able to test and improve what? What God's will is, his good will, his pleasing will, and his perfect will. May it be so. You pray with me. Father God, I thank you for your love, Lord. I thank you that while we were still your enemies, Christ died for us, Lord. I thank you that um, you didn't wait for us to pursue you. You pursued us first. Thank you, Lord, for that love. And I pray to God as we wrestle, you know us human beings, Lord. You know we just want it all to be work out. Our, our natural default, dear God, is, um, is just to be comfortable. And yet, dear Lord, that's not where real life is truly lived. Help us, dear God. Will you grow in us the hunger to truly live life that's worth living? And in that, dear God, that we may be motivated energized to pursue you with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and with all our strength, dear God, that we may be built up in your love and the outcome and the outpouring of that, dear Father, is that we may share that love with others, that we may not just experience forgiveness, reconciliation, but what Jesus called life, no, abundant life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.